welcome to this podcast of our new series, Anything, Anything But, but ordinary. ordinary. Much yeah. better. Yes. <laughs> it's a little bit of a play on words um, because we're doing it during ordinary time and Sanctified Art puts out this series. And I really like their resources because they care so much about the visual art and helping people reflect in all sorts of ways. Um, They don't put together scripts for services. They don't really put together a ton of preaching notes. So there's a lot of freedom to address the issues our community has or that might come up from the text, but a lot of resources to help supplement that conversation. Cool. Yeah, so ordinary time is kind of, Pentecost goes on forever, right? It does, yeah. And so it feels like ordinary, so it just became ordinary time. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the, the whole Pentecost fire thing wears off after a bit, so, you know, <laughs> fire, it, become, it becomes ordinary. Burned out, yeah. It's a burned out. Yeah. And uh, the thought is going through, um, really, the Abrahamic family tree and some of the stories we might have heard as kiddos um, that are worth our revisiting because they are our stories. Yeah, one of the things I think is is important for us to keep kind of touching back to is that these are these are not just our stories as Christians, but they they had their roots in the Judaic Bible, and they're mm-hmm. also in the Quran as part of the uh, part of the stories of the um, the Islamic community. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, there we are joined as people of Abraham, children of Abraham. Abraham. So we'll be covering this for twelve weeks. <sighs> And we are excited. You're along for the ride with us. Hang on. This week, we're already on the seventh week of uh, Anything But Ordinary, our sermon series through the summer, where we're looking at Genesis, uh, the, the whole Abrahamic cycle of scriptures, and moving into Exodus with the creation of the nation under Moses. Um, this week, we had a guest, the Reverend Jarrell Wilson, who is the new director at Wesley Foundation uh, here in Kalamazoo. Very willing to continue with us and pick up on our scripture uh, this week, which was Genesis, the 29th chapter, verses 15 through 28, where Jacob marries Rachel and Leah. Uh, with me here at the po- in the podcast booth is, uh, for the very first time, Tanya Boot, who is our Director of Discipleship and Communication. Uh, she is excited. She's been chomping at the bit to do this, uh, so we welcome her to the board. Uh, but first, I want to give you space to go ahead and listen to the scripture and to the, uh, to the sermon, as you would, and we'll be back with you shortly. All right, we are continuing our slow summer walk through the book of Genesis, and uh, we'll be getting into Exodus in a little bit. But today it's Genesis 29, 15 through 28, a strange little story. That was just my editorial comment. (laughs) Laban said to Jacob, you shouldn't have to work for free just because you are my relative. Tell me what you would like to be paid. Now, Laban had two daughters. The older was named Leah and the younger Rachel. Leah had delicate eyes, but Rachel had a beautiful figure and was good looking. I don't write them, I just speak them. (laughs) 
Jacob loved Rachel and said, I'll work for you for seven years for Rachel, your youngest daughter. And Laban said, I'd rather give her to you than to any other man. Stay with me. Jacob worked for Rachel for seven years, but it seemed like a few days because he loved her. Jacob said to Laban, the time has come. Give me my wife so that I may sleep with her. <laughs> you get to preach it. <laughs> I read the guitarist beat. Are we stuck? Paper, please. Okay. This is like in this is like point eight font here. All right, we'll see what we can do. Um, got it. So Laban invited all the people of that place and prepared a banquet. However, in the evening he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he slept with her. Laban had given her his servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah as her servant. In the morning, there she was. Leah. Jacob said to Laban, what have you done to me? Didn't I work for you to have Rachel? Why did you betray me? Laban said, where we live, we don't give the younger woman before the oldest. Complete the celebratory week with this week, with this woman. Then I will give you this other woman too for your work, if you work for me for seven more years. So that's what Jacob did. He completed the celebratory week with this woman, and then Laban gave him his daughter, Rachel, as his wife. Uh -huh. A word of God that is still speaking. Thanks be to God. Amen. Friends, I am delighted to introduce you to Reverend Jarrell Wilson, who is the new Wesley director. You all know this is a ministry near and dear to my heart, and they literally just started and agreed to have someone set up a preaching um, calendar for them. And uh, I've been in that position where you're darting between churches and you're not sure where you're going. So we are so grateful um, that Jarrell also agreed to participate in our already ongoing message series. And uh, just as a personal plug, Jarrell is looking for a place to live. It is so hard to find a place to live here in the Kalamazoo Portage area. So if you know of a lovely and delightful place they could move with their pets, Please, please make a connection because um, we want to make sure they are very welcomed here. So if you wouldn't mind, just giving a little hand clap as we welcome Reverend Jarrell. I don't know. I, oh wait, am I mind? Can I just walk around? Oh, how exciting. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Um, it's an honor to be here, uh, but I just want to confess, because all good theology starts with a confession. The reason I was tardy today was because our fellow sister, a fellow Methodist, Beyonce kept me. Um, <laughs> when the schedule was being made, I failed to double check. Um, and so I was in Chicago this morning, slash last night, and all I can say is, if you don't have tickets, Detroit is coming up, and y'all can still make it to the Renaissance World Tour. If you would, please join me in a 
posture in a position in a spirit of prayer. God, you are our God, and we seek to serve you in the morning, to praise you in the day, to love you with our lives and our hearts, to walk humbly, and to show your love to those in this world so that they too can receive the awesome gift of grace that Jesus Christ has given to us. Bless this time as we try to discern your word in this strange and familiar text. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I've always had a problem with this story. <laughs> Not just one. I've had a few. The first problem, the broken promise. Obviously, when you make a contract with someone, especially your uncle, you expect that person to follow up. However, those of us who have worked with our families before <laughs> know that things don't always go according to plan. Second, I have to reinterpret uh, the scripture. So in this translation, it said that Leah had delicate eyes or fair eyes. Um, in the King James Version, it said cow-eyed. Now, <laughs> cow-eyed is a particular expression that means the eyes are beautiful, but the rest is kind of like <laughs> It's not a, a kind phrase to describe someone, but now it makes a little bit more sense how Jacob was able to be tricked. He saw the beautiful eyes, he had been drinking, it was a banquet, who knows what Laban put in that wine. And so he sees a pair of beautiful eyes and goes, Eureka, it's my wife. And uh, as the scripture says, he goes to sleep with her. Although in other translations, it says something, you know, like how the Bible, we can't talk about sexual things. So it says, knew her, uh, or, went into her. And I'm like, oh, is that better? Um, <laughs> but you see, now we know. Jacob wasn't like dumb. There was he was deceived, which is even worse. You make a promise, you break the promise, and then you trick me in the dead of night. I wake up and where's Rachel? And the other problem, then Laban gives to Rachel Zilpah. And it says her servant, but let's use the real words here, her slave. Slavery was common at this time, and typically a slave as a gift was normal for a wedding. And it also is strange to me because this is a woman being given another woman as a slave, knowing that if she can't have children, the job of that slave is to sleep with her owner's husband to have a child that will inherit her owner's wealth and then get to lord over her. Which, when we fast forward in scripture, it makes the prayer of Hannah at the tabernacle seem a little bit more, like, more realistic. 
more desperate. That desperation of my husband's other wife can have kids and sons, but I can't. So when he dies, there is no one to take care of me. There is no law to protect me. There is no one to shield me from her wrath. And even now, she taunts me mercilessly because my womb is empty. This is the threat that women lived under throughout antiquity. And then there's this weird solution. I'm going to work for seven years, and then I want you to give me a person. And then he does it again and gets another person. And then I, I also just like, as a parent, I'm not a parent, but hypothetically, <laughs> I am a parent to two cats. So I'm like, I'm just thinking, if some boy cat wanted to marry one of my precious angels and, and came up, I would be like, well, Let's make sure this is an equitable relationship. I don't want just any old cat taking ownership of my delightful angels, my babies. Laban gave his daughters to the same man and didn't think that that would cause problems. Like, I didn't have sisters, but I have cousins that are all sisters. And those relationships are interesting, to say the least. They fight over everything clothes and Barbie dolls, but I imagine if they were married to the same man, there would be even more fights to be had. Why did he remember your birthday and not mine? Oh, he remembered to show up to your kids' events, but my kids' play wasn't good enough, etc., etc. I just imagine it's not a good situation. And the theme of our sermon series is God doing things that are out of the ordinary. And let me tell you, this relationship is out of the ordinary. To this day, the descendants of these women still fight. That kind of contention is dangerous, but it was also preventable. And as a person who maybe one day will become a parent, I, I have to think, what ways do I talk to the children in my life that might be causing contention, that might be setting them up for failure in the future? How can I walk in a way that when children come to me and encounter my life, they walk away and say it was a blessing and not a curse. This is a curse. You know that the man you married wanted someone else. And you're not even a consolation prize. You were a trick. What must that do to someone's self-worth? Self-worth, self-esteem, mental health and well-being are things I think about a lot. Um, before coming to the Wesley Foundation, I worked as a youth education specialist, worked in health and reproductive care, and in all of the fields I've worked in, 
we were always warned about one major problem, the exponentially increasing rate of mental illness in youth and young adults. The higher rates of suicidal ideation, the higher rates of eating disorders, the higher rates of self-harm. Typically, in this country, suicide is pretty much a man thing. 80% of the people who take their own life are men. That number is changing because young girls have increased by 36%. And so, when I was offered this position, my first thought was, how can we as Methodists help meet the needs of the youth of today? Now sure, we have great things like UM Army, lock-ins and retreats, wonderful songs to sing, but how are we going to meet the need of someone who believes that this world is better without them in it. How are we, as people called Christians, but also as people called Methodists, people that believe in grace, not just this general idea of grace, you know, that everyone believes in, God loves us all, you know, Snoopy and... Mary, Charlie Brown, Christmas, all that jazz, great big pumpkin. But like, we believe in an incredible, really a triune form of grace. It's prevenient. It goes out into the world for everybody. But it's also justifying. It's just for us too. God isn't just interested in the world or in creation. God is interested in me and in you and in that child that feels alone and doesn't know where to turn. And most importantly, we believe in a grace that is sanctifying so that no matter what we bring to God's table, God says that's something I can work with. That's something I can turn into a miracle. That's something that can bring healing to this world. And for us, as people, we never think that our gifts are enough. Anytime I talk to someone about faith, they always say, oh, well, I'm not ready to go to church. I'm not right yet. God isn't ready for me. And of course that's not true. God, unlike Laban, is a parent that loves their child. God is concerned with our well-being. God is not so distant and so far away removed that they can't hear our prayer. God is as close and familiar and intimate as your next breath. And yet, God is also above it and beyond it and beyond our comprehension. And that's where the magic happens. 
That's where our gifts become bountiful. That's where five loaves and two fishes feed thousands. That's where the prayer of a lost teenage girl who was enslaved to Abraham cries out, and God provides water in the desert. God opened the womb of Hannah and of Rachel and of Leah. And God continues to move throughout the narrative of Scripture, meeting people's needs with the little bit they have to offer. Sometimes it was a drop of oil and a little bit of flour, and God made a whole meal out of it. Sometimes it was just a little bit of water, and God made it a cure for leprosy. Sometimes it's spit in the mud with Jesus, and it cures blindness. I mean, please don't spit on me. But you know with God, all things are possible. So for me, coming into this town, coming into this ministry, knowing that I serve a God not of death, but a God of resurrection, knowing that I serve a God not of fear, but of power and sound mind, knowing that I serve a God of grace, a God of glory, who on his people pours his power, I know that the needs of people today can be met. But it won't be in ordinary ways. God is too, dare I say, trickstery for that. God loves to play games. I don't know if y'all have noticed this in scripture, but God loves playing games. Asking people questions to which God already knows the answer. Giving them little tests that you know they're going to fail. And then being, oh, don't worry. Here's a little cheat code. Come on over here. Um, um, loving God, loving dad, you know. Like the dad that races the kid but then slows down a little bit just to let them touch the car first. And get a little bit of bragging rights before they have to go do their homework. Um, God is working in the world today. And I have to believe that the hearts that I have been called to reach out to, that the Holy Spirit is already softening them. I don't even have students yet, but I trust that the Holy Spirit is already whispering in ears, just keep holding on. Just try one more time. Just reach out to that one last person. And I know this is to be true because it's been true in my life. When I want to give up, when I feel worthless and alone and lost, God whispers in my ear, wasn't that person at church just as kind to you as they could have been? Aren't you thankful for the sunrise I brought today? Aren't you thankful for Beyonce? Yes, Lord. <laughs> like, aren't you thankful that you have a community that you can lean on? Building community is not easy. It's hard work. Relationships require vulnerability and a lot of people struggle with that. They require honesty, and some people struggle with that. They require being open to possibly being hurt. 
and all of us struggle with being hurt. But when we lean into community, we can truly receive the grace that God has given us. Because the gift Christ left us with is this. It's the church. And Jesus knew. People kind of suck sometimes. <laughs> so he left us another gift, the Holy Spirit, to correct us when we are hurting our community, to push us out of our comfort zone when we want to withdraw from our community, to give us the strength to put up with our community. God sent us the Holy Spirit because we need the Holy Spirit. Our flesh, our bodies, our minds, they're great. They are good. God made them. But the Holy Spirit is just that extra touch, like chocolate syrup on a Sunday. Mm, the Holy Spirit's my favorite. I'll come back to preach about that later. What to do with Jacob? Whom? I will also point out, this is the other problem I had with this story. Jacob was a liar and a thief, and he stole and lied to his own brother and his dad. So for his uncle to lie and cheat him, it's kind of like poetic justice, but it also really makes me want to invest in family therapy for them. Because <laughs> what is going on? Jacob's mom is over here. Don't worry, I'll help you lie to your dad and trick him. Jacob's dad, well, you cook and clean. I can't have that for a son. Let's go with the hunter. Like, what is going on in this family? And this is who God chose to be the chosen people, which gives me hope. Because I'm like, woof, I'm not that bad. Certainly God can work on me. <laughs> And if God can work on us, God can work on you. As we go forward, I invite you to please keep the Wesley Foundation in your prayers. Pray for these youth. Pray for these kids. Life was hard enough post-Columbine and September 11th and Hurricane Katrina economic recession and housing crash. But now it's even more difficult. When I was growing up, if there was a school shooting, it took us a few days to get to it. Now it pops up on your phone. So you could, hypothetically, be going to gym class, and then you're warned that two towns over, there was a school shooting. Every day, that amount of pressure it's practically like living in a war zone, except for you didn't volunteer to engage in war, and there's no terms of agreement, and you never know when it'll pop up, and it could happen in Michigan, or in Texas, or in California, or Wisconsin, or Iowa. It could happen in a big town, or a small town, or a big city. It could happen at a white school, or a black school, or predominantly Hispanic. It could happen anywhere. That level of fear is not healthy for anyone to live with, but then when you add climate change onto that, and you add a global pandemic, and you continue to add all of these weights and burdens, it makes it harder 
to manage. Like marriage, for example. Marriage is great. God gave it to us. Amen. Glory to God. But when you add the problem of your husband's also married to your sister, it adds a burden that God did not intend. Are you seeing where I'm going with this? Our children were never meant to live in a world where they were afraid of being shot at school. I don't think that's a controversial statement. But you know, in some places it is. I don't think our kids were ever meant to live in a world where they had to wonder, like, will it be so hot I can't breathe? Like, will it be so, well, oh, Lord, is GM going to dump water, toxic chemicals in our water? Like, well, yes, they have and will, and continue to do so. But kids aren't supposed to be living with that fear. That's us. This is an adult problem to fix. And while we fix these problems, we need to be caring for the children God has entrusted us. So the next time you hear someone talk about how kids today are just so disrespectful and blah, 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 I don't know, whatever. The, the myth is, or video games are doing this, or blah, blah, blah. I would ask you to remind this person. One, that they're talking about a child. And two, that they're talking about a child of God. Giving grace to others is necessary because we need grace ourselves. I'm thankful for the people here, for the Methodists across this connection who are dedicated to making sure that there is a ministry for college students in Kalamazoo. It has been up, it's been down, but I promise going forward, we're gonna do everything we can to reach this next generation. If you will, please pray with me. God of all creation, maker of heaven and earth, mover of mountains, and lover of our souls. We give you thanks. Thank you that you have claimed us. Thank you that we can claim you. And thank you for the work that is ahead. Empower us with your Holy Spirit so that we might be living testaments of your gospel and bring love, change, and justice to this world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, welcome back. Trust that uh, the scripture reading and the message from Jarrell Wilson, the Reverend Jarrell Wilson, was meaningful to you. Uh, we're going to do a little talking about our takeaways, things that were meaningful to us. And um, well, let's start with you, Tanya. What uh, what what did you find captivating? Captivating. Or interesting. And move the mic closer to you. Better. There we go. Um, 
Jarrell, Reverend Jarrell, took their message in several different directions. Um, I don't want to call them tangents because they were all interrelated. Um, but I think the thing that struck me the most or stayed with me the most was um, when Jarrell talked about um, youth and the suicide rate of, um, of youth and how that rate is rising exponentially in um, young women. And um, that really, that, that affected me as um, I used to um, work with small children um, not so long ago. And, um, you know, we, we think about uh, how, we, how we speak to people that is affirming and um, loving and kind. And, um, you know, I, I, that, that just really struck, struck a chord with me that um, I may have been unaffirming or spoke to them in an unkind way when you're when you're trying to raise kids and um, so I think I will be more conscious of that um, speaking to youth children people of all ages that um, that our words matter and um, that our words can hurt if, if we don't if we're not intentional how we use them it can have devastating effects yeah, Jarrell really wrapped the whole sermon around uh, their reality as a Wesley Foundation director and looking through the lens of one who cares deeply about uh, young people, uh, evolving adults, uh, and, and the harm that can be done. You know, uh, Jarrell's prayer began with a recognition that this is a strange and familiar text, this Genesis piece around the marriage of Jacob to Leah and uh, Rachel. I'm not sure how familiar it really is to folks because it's one that preachers tend to not preach. It's weird. Uh, it's, it's very much outside of our culture, our understanding of what marriage looks like. It right. raises all kinds of weird questions about the involvement of God in this kind of family, family uh, system. And Jarrell talked about <clears throat> the difficulty of the family system through all of this. Um, the, 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 the things that, that they raised up, uh, like broken promises, uh, well, those are realities in most of our family right. units. Um, sometimes they're very intentional, sometimes they're not. But really, as far as, as, far as the family members are concerned, it doesn't matter whether, whether the broken promise is intentional or not. Right. In this case, we've got uh, a family system that seems to be all woven in in deceit, in uh, dishonesty, dishonesty, one-upmanship. Um, it's it's wrapped up in the matri or excuse me, a patriarchal culture where women were property and so could be transferred from the father to whoever the father makes the arrangement with. Uh, in this case. Does it uh, really dishonestly uh, by by transferring ownership of Leah over to uh, to Jacob, and then the one that that Jacob really wanted, Rachel, comes later, and you can do that with seven years of labor. Right. Um, 
so while so so I think most preachers don't do this text because it feels well we don't we don't do that. Jarrell did a great job of saying, yeah, we may not do that, but we do do the dishonesty pieces. We do do the the complicated family dynamic stuff. Um, and the we, deceit, the deceit, the trickery, yeah. uh, whatever we we whatever we call it, sometimes tongue in cheek, um, and the, but they are the realities that do harm in family, and and so then you get to say, oh no, did I do harm right. to my kids, uh, and um, did I do harm to those little ones that you that exactly. you that you raised up as a as a, a home care giver. Um, and, and I don't think that the intent here was for us to all to, to keep going back on what we've done, but to look forward to what we will be doing. Uh, well, what else? What else was striking to you? Um, I think I think just the story itself is is striking because um, it is so weird, and um, the fact that you have a father that um, is giving away daughters um, for work. You know, uh, Jacob is, in lieu of paying for them, um, offering a dowry, he's working. Um, and then just the the deceit behind that, that he's working for um, the, the love. Um, love is eluded between Jacob and Rachel. So he's, he's working for this love and then to get Leah and just the, how Leah must have felt to be part of that trickery with her father and with Jacob and not being the chosen one. And, um, you know, uh, a commodity of sorts, you know, and Rachel too. Rachel having to wait to be a commodity and then knowing that both of them, um, their only worth is to procreate. You know, that's a, that, that, that's a hard concept to wrap your brain around. Yeah. I thought uh, Jarrell wrapped um, the scripture and our re- realities um, very nicely, you know. They segued into um, human human trafficking and um, sex work, and uh, yeah, it 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 makes you think of that scripture in um, in a different way, in a different reality. Yeah, and and you know, as much as the value of woman was about having children, I mean, clearly some of the same kinds of garbage that go on today in terms of, of women's appearance and body image was going on here because uh, Leah has cow eyes and, and Jarrell did a great job of explaining the history of that and that, that, that it was a compliment of the, you know, that she had great eyes, but the rest of her was sort of a wreck um, in terms of, in terms exactly. of a male image of what, of what uh, feminine beauty looked like. And the one that Jacob really wanted was the beautiful Rachel. Right. Um, and so what, what harm was done to her that, that uh, trickery had to be involved in getting rid of her uh, to, to make the transaction between father and, the, uh, and Jacob. Just weird stuff. 
um, yeah. all the way around, but making the point that harm is done. And I don't care how deeply ensconced the tradition might be, um, when harm is done, we have to take a hard look at the tradition. I mean, when when I started doing weddings, the 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 marriage uh, ritual in the United Methodist Book of Worship included, do do you give this woman to be married to this yes. man? Um, and that that old language of dowry so an exchange of goods and the woman is a is a is a good to be exchanged for land or money or whatever it is um i think we've come a long way from that um women certainly seem to have more agency i seem to women certainly have more agency in in america in 2023 than they did in the ancient near east in the time of jacob uh, Jarrell did a great job of helping us uh, bridge the, the the space between then and now to say that don't don't so quickly think we've got it all together because we've got exactly. we've got young people that are a mess and uh, we we need to really be mindful of of the damage that uh, the culture continues to do and the, the the reasons for that damage may have changed but the reality of the change is the same it's the same these young people are dealing with um, guns in their schools and the knowledge of those guns uh, being immediate uh, fear is is crazy making um, the reality of climate change and that uh, this is a, a time when it's highly unlikely that, that these young people are going to be as um, as economically successful as we um, as we have had in past generations you know past right. generations always had the hope of having it better than the one before uh, in these United States, um, right. n- not true any longer. So, yeah, we, we did a good. They did a good job of setting setting it uh, into a contemporary context. Yeah, yeah. I was um, I was also struck uh, the way Jarrell um, kind of tied our recent history. Jarrell mentioned Columbine, and then. Um, uh, environmental um, hurricanes, disasters, and um, you know how all of those things um, have an effect on on our youth. And um, just the fact I was I was thinking about when when he had when they had mentioned Columbine, um, all of the protocols that that brought about in our schools and how it has had to constantly evolve, you know, and, um, a student today understands the protocols and they get, um, a warning on their phone and they know where to take cover. They have a plan, you know, um, when we were kids, we didn't, Mm. we didn't have that. You know, well, when I was a kid, we were still we were still dealing with the 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 wake of the Cold War and the fear around around nuclear nuclear war. So we you know we had the, all of the the nuclear um, tests uh, the, right. the the test drills in school where we had to go hide under our desks, which yeah. is hysterical. Yes. Um, yeah. But yeah. that was our anxiety. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, but yeah, I thought I thought Jarrell wrapped that. Um, or brought us to a um, 
and understanding that uh, our reality our reality isn't isn't all that different. Jarrell talked about this being a, a text that deals with poetic justice for Jacob. Yes. Um, because Jacob, Jacob, Jacob's sort of a jerk all the way yep. around, and we um, we traced his difficulty with Esau right from the get-go. Yeah. Uh, his willingness to to lie, his willingness to de- to be se- deceitful, deceitful to his father, yep. uh, so that uh, he might get the uh, the inheritance and might get the father's blessing. Um, so this is kind of the comeuppance for, for Jacob. And the reality is that, that come, whatever goes around comes around for us as well. Um, what Jarrell did that I thought was really helpful, Jarrell did not leave us there. Um, Jarrell took us to a theological place where we're reminded that God offers this grace in multiple ways in our Wesleyan tradition, and yes. that that preveniently all all the world is is granted access to this to this grace already given um, individually. God uh, connects with us and offers us this individual relationship, this justice, justifying grace uh, that says we are we are fine just the way we are. Imperfectly. And, uh, imperfectly. And yes. God doesn't necessarily want to leave us there. And so we're also given the sanctifying grace and the work of the Holy Spirit that, that brings us to a place where uh, we can be ever more useful to God through the church and directly in the, in the world. Um, and I, I thought that was that was helpful, that uh, as much of a jerk as Jacob was, uh, you know, probably no more so than, than many of us. Oh, and, yeah. and in as much as Jacob is ends up being the uh, the the hope of of his people um, you exactly. know God can work with us as well right right um, more more often than not any of the scriptures we read the the narratives the stories um, God is always working in and through a less than perfect person and um, I think that's helpful because we, we definitely can relate to that. We know we're not perfect, and yet, um, you know, we, we still have the love and mercy of God, and God still works in and through us um, in the church and um, outside the church, different missions. And um, I often think that uh, we... We learn more um, from imperfect people than we do from perfect people. You know, other people's mistakes, our mistakes. Um, I think there is there is more to learn. There are more lessons to learn in in that reality. Yeah, we tend not to trust perfect people. Right. You know, we may put perfect people on pedestals, but ultimately, they're not the people we want to hang with. They're not no. the people we want to learn from. No, exactly. Because um, it's yeah. not real, and it, it doesn't feel right. attainable. Yeah, there's a sense of celebrity that goes with perfect, yeah. perfect people, um, and th- and that's not that's not the literature we read. It's not the, they're not the movies we go to. They're not the people we want to hang with. Right. They are the people who are less than perfect and doing the best they can. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, all right. Anything else? Jump right out at you. I don't, I don't think so. Not at the moment. 
All right. Well, I thank you, Tanya, for being with us this week. And uh, next week, uh, Jess will be preaching and we'll be doing Jacob wrestling God or the man or the angel uh, across the Jabbok River. Well, we'll let Jess unpack what that means. All right. Thanks so much. Thank you.